And welcome on this Saturday morning to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Hello, I'm Dan Diori along with Ethan Wise from Hair Nursery. <laughs> it's uh, Dan, Ethan, and Steve the Plant. Steve the Plant. Yeah. I like the name. Yeah. Yeah, now we're going to have to, who's, what, well, you have to think about the next name because I'm not going to just let you guys get away with one plant in your okay. office. There's yeah. going to have to be a graduation uh, or gradually getting more plants. Yeah. And that plant, you can go on the Greg and Dan Show Facebook page <laughs> to see it, Steve the Plant looking out the window but uh make a what, facebook page just for steve the plant oh maybe we could do <laughs> get that. some followers instagram yes. follows there we go <laughs> that's a good idea and and then have like a little uh a, a board that you can put in front of them like a uh you know a writing board what steve's thinking today yes i think he would look really cool with a um with a little Hawaiian T-shirt. Yeah. Oh, we got to do something. Mm-hmm. What kind of a plant is that? So that's a Sansevieria. Specifically, it's a bird nest Sansevieria. It's going to stay small. Mm-hmm. So uh, many types of Sansevieria grow upright. Or mother-in-law's tongue, as as many of us might recognize them. Um, Easiest as, plant to take care of. Yeah. It's there's really nothing you have to do. The worst thing you can do is do something. Mm-hmm. So just don't overly care about it. Water it no more than once a month, ideally, and that's all you got to do. I now that's th- also called a snake plant. Yep. Snake plant um, or uh, mother-in-law's tongue, uh, Sansevieria, uh, is, was actually its former botanical name. It has now been adopted under the Dracaena genus, mm-hmm. so it is the plant formerly known as Sansevieria to join the group oh. with Prince. Well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're getting uh, something we did uh, on Green Thumb, I don't know, about two weeks ago. We're starting to do the home version of mm-hmm. uh, Green Thumb. Yep. So you can go on the Hair Nursery website. H O E R R nursery dot com. So um, and and while you pull that up, we're going to go over some of the things that are on there. Um, Plantopedia is a great one too. We had a lot of fun with that. I use it. I've been using it more and more often, um, just because what I'd like to do is when people send me an email. Mm-hmm. And they're asking for plant suggestions. I'll go on to our Plantopedia. I'll find the plant and I'll attach that link to them in the email, so they can just instant access. I found it to be much more useful for me to do my job than I thought I was going to. So since we've started talking about this, I have been using our website way more often. I didn't. I, I, kudos to uh, Renee and Matt, who are our marketing team um, and and webmaster, for putting this together for us this year because it is really user friendly. Mm-hmm. And you I get just, a lot of ideas. I work at Hair Nursery, so I'm never thinking I need to go on to HairNursery.com. Yeah. And it's such a cool website. Yeah. I I I'm very thrilled with what they've done. Okay, while well, people are uh, looking up here at nursery.com, uh, you were showing me a picture of one of the plants you had mm-hmm. covered in ants. Yes. And I'm like, that's scary looking. <laughs> yes. It's so, like a bad horror movie. So one thing, you know, I, I probably, I don't know, every other week or so, I talk to someone about ants. Ants on their plants, ants in their plants, um, ants in a tree, mm-hmm. and they want something to kill them. They're worried that the ants are eating their plants. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's not the case. Uh, ants really don't care about uh, killing your plants. They're They'll they'll harvest uh, certain things. They you know if it's a leaf cutter ant sure, but that lives in the Amazon. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, the ants that we see in our yard, even carpenter ants, carpenter ants eat dead wood. So yes, if you see them crawling around your wooden deck, mm-hmm. you might want to you might want to spray or treat them. But if you see ants in a in a tree, uh, and maybe coming out of a hole that started to decay, the ants are not responsible for that decay. What they're doing is they're capitalizing and feeding on the dead and dying wood, and in fact, they can help clean out the tree because dying wood can also attract fungi. 
And if the ants clean that wound out, then there's less of a home for the fungi to grow onto. So they so do do some productive things. They do. And, uh, and uh, ants also are mm. known for farming aphids. And that's what that picture was that I was showing. I have a volunteer cottonwood tree um, that's popping up out of my garden. Normally, I'd yank that sucker out. I'm not a big fan of too many things in the poplar genus. And uh, they can be kind of weedy. But when I went over to it, I could see that it was covered in this black substance. And I got up close and I realized it was covered in ants. And then I got closer and I realized underneath those ants were aphids. So the aphids are the ones that are eating the plant and the ants are farming uh, the aphids. So what they're doing is they're, they're uh, keeping them protected. They're allowing them to eat that plant because as the aphids stay happy and healthy, uh, meanwhile, the ants are also kind of massaging them with their antenna, kind of stimulating them. And what the aphids are producing is what's called honeydew. And the ants love it. It's a very sweet nectar-like substance. And, and they'll take that home and bring it back to the hive with them. And it also keeps them sustained. So it's just, uh, one, just on one little plant, you're seeing so much going on. It's a really cool thing. That is amazing. That story is amazing. <laughs> so it's almost like the ants come in and enslave, so to speak, the aphids. Pretty but they much. do protect them. They do. They keep them. <clears throat> they keep them safe. Like, that's cool. You stay on this plant. You eat this plant. We will protect you. Uh -huh. But also for that protection, we want this substance that you produce. Wow. And so there's, there's literally this, this symbiotic relationship that's happening there. But you don't want aphids. Not usually, no. But if you so if you see ants and aphids, you might want to just remove the plant or get rid of it because the ants are not going to kill the aphids. Now, if you see aphids and ladybugs, you're okay. Ladybugs eat aphids uh -huh. and they'll eat eight <clears throat> times their body weight. Um, so that's that's not a bad thing. And that was kind of one of the things I wanted to lead into was natural pests. Now you're going to start seeing ladybugs, the Asian lady beetle, which is the orange one. Um, you'll start seeing praying manti uh, and other things, and that's okay. Those are natural natural pests. Uh, wasps are even natural pests of many types of worms. So those are good. Yes. I know people get scared of wasps. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a terrifying thing to think that they might sting you. Mm -hmm. But as long as you're not swatting them and, and distressing them, for the most part, they got an agenda and you aren't it. Um, but wasps will parasitize, many types of them will parasitize certain worms. Uh, one of them uh, being the tomato hornworm. Uh, wasps will parasitize. So if you haven't seen a tomato hornworm, it's about the size of one of your fingers. Mm -hmm. Big green thing and a horn on the end, and they will decimate tomato crops. Just completely, and it's hard to see. You won't know what's happening until you like you're looking on your plant. You flip the the leaf upside down. There's this gigantic worm there, and it turns into this big old big old moth. Um, but sometimes you might see them with like these white little looks like rice sticking out of them. Mm -hmm. Well, that's not their eggs. Those are the eggs of a wasp that have parasitized that worm, and now that worm has uh, its number. You know, its number has been called, wow. and uh, mm -hmm. it's not too long before that thing dies. So wasps will do it. Praying mantis will eat Japanese beetles. Um, I have a, uh, I wouldn't be able to find it now because that's how we all are when we're trying to show a picture um, in a quick moment. But I have a picture of a praying mantis uh, when I worked at Greenview that has three Japanese beetles clasping. I had two in one arm and one in the other, and it's walking away very proud of itself. And that's when I was like, all right. Praying mantids, they're the ones. They're, they're the ones that the natural predator for the Japanese beetle. Wow. So let's go over again the good things to have around your garden as far as natural pest killer, you know, mm -hmm. pest killers. Um, 
to praying mantis? Yeah, praying mantids will eat all kinds of things. Now, they'll eat a little bit of everything. Um, jumping spiders. Uh, jumping spiders will tackle prey that's four times, five times the size of them. And they're very efficient killers, and they will eat uh, pests as well. Um, your uh, ladybugs or lady beetles, the Asian lady beetles, also probably one of the best predators against aphids. Mm -hmm. uh, and then certain wasps, you know, hornets, not so much. They're not really into parasitizing, <clears throat> but wasps will parasitize uh, specifically types of worms and caterpillars that'll eat your plant. Well, there's uh, information I bet a lot of people didn't know. That, mm -hmm. That's that's pretty interesting. What uh, And what's around right now as far as pests? Uh, um, so as far as pests right now, you're going to see aphids. You'll see yellow ones. You'll see them at the tip of a plant. So they'll... Um, that's where all the, the new growth hormones are being sent in a plant, which is why you'll see aphids lining up the whole top of a plant. And they can be brown. They could be kind of um, fuzzy. There's a woolly aphid. You'll see bright yellow ones. Uh, and all of those will be uh, out and about in an abundance right now. That's mm. probably one of the big ones. Many people have probably seen Japanese beetles. If you live next to a farm, you've definitely seen them because they love soybean fields and they love <laughs> cornfields. Oh. So I, I've noticed that. Uh, you know, you're not going to see a lot at Hair Nursery right now. And I, so I was spoiled and I don't have many at my house. I've seen one um, and I gave it a hard flick. Um, but uh, other than that, I mean, most of the people that I've spoken with, the the ones who are having lots of Japanese beetles are next to a, um, an agriculture field. So if you are, if you don't want them around some of your other things in the garden, uh, you may not want to plant corn, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they like the silk. They like the corn silk. Mm -hmm. And they love soybeans, just everything about a soybean. They'll, they'll decimate the whole leaf. <clears throat> wow. Um, which I'm sure any farmers listening are nodding their hair and saying, or nodding their hair, mm -hmm. <laughs> nodding their head and, and uh, probably has some choice words. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. <clears throat> how are, how are it like, let's say your garden as a microcosm for everyone, uh, any problems you're having? We had heat, moisture. Now we got heat again. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm now having that everyday battle with my tomato plants. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how I can keep, there's nothing I can do to keep them as watered as they want to be. I water them in the morning. By the time I get home, they're still kind of sad looking. So I, I'm just on that, that routine now of just endless watering. Mm -hmm. Um, but as far as pests, I have seen, I, I'm getting chew marks on my broccoli, but it's not affecting them. <clears throat> my broccoli still 18 inches, two feet tall, but you can see there's little canals that have been chewed in some of the leaves, but bugs are hungry too. Um, it's obviously not so detrimental that the plant is failing. The plant's still doing just fine. So I'm not worried about spraying. How are the tomatoes developing? Any problems there? So uh, I I do had all right I do had uh, I did have um, end rot calcium end rot or sometimes called blossom end rot tomato end rot and that's what happens when the tomato is starting to form and it's still in its green phase it'll start to develop a black circle at the end of that plant and as it develops that black circle gets bigger and it starts to rot the bottom of that plant and what that is is it's a, it's a disease that is caused by a calcium deficiency and so it's end rot, and when you see that, you need to give your plant a boost of calcium. Um, I have two products that I use. Um, I use them this year, and within a week, I've seen a massive difference wow, in, in okay. production. So there's a spray called Yield Booster, mm -hmm. which is just a direct shot of calcium, and you just miss the plant with it. Um, and then there's a fertilizer that we have called Tomato Tone that's part of the Tone product. There's Holly Tone, uh, Plant Tone, Garden Tone. The Tone line is a, is a wonderful line, and they have Tomato Tone, and that specific fertilizer has calcium in it as well plus it's organic you can apply it any time of year because it's not going to have such a high nitrogen rate that it's going to burn the plant 
I just applied it last week, gave each one of my tomato plants and my pepper plants, because some of my peppers had end rot too. Um, I gave all of them a healthy dose of that fertilizer, and then I spritzed all of them, and a week later, um, after I plucked, you know, the rot's not going to go away, so you might as well just get rid of that fruit. But uh, afterwards, you... Uh, what I've noticed is all the new fruit growing doesn't have end rot anymore. It absorbed that calcium quickly. Okay. Um, <clears throat> fertilizing right now in this heat, not a good idea, right? Uh, I would say for the most part, if if your plant's not failing mm -hmm. or struggling, don't stress about it. But if you were going to, I would recommend um, an organic one and not to push, you know, just because it's organic. Yes, that's that can be healthier, but it's also lower intensity. That's what I was saying about the tomato tone. Usually an organic fertilizer is not going to have any sort of quantity number in there higher than 10%. Yeah. So when you're looking at the three numbers on a fertilizer and it says, you know, uh, like miracle Grow would say like 24, 8, 12. 24% nitrogen, 8% phosphorus, 12% potassium. Anything above 10% in this sort of heat... I don't recommend because the plant just is, is already struggling. It's hot. It's just trying to produce enough uh, energy. When you were, we were just talking before we started, and there's a root product that's also good if a plant's starting to fail. What was that called? So there's a, we have root stimulator, mm -hmm. um, but the root stimulator, I think, is, is, is going to be much more beneficial to you if you are going to plant in summer. Mm -hmm. That's what I recommend. If you're planting in summer, and that's not a bad thing, use root stimulator. When you distress those roots, when you break up that root ball before you put it in the ground, mm -hmm. those open wounds you're making are going to absorb the growth hormone that's <laughs> in root stimulator and help them establish their roots more much quicker and healthier. And uh, so uh, Greg was uh, asking because he still may want to do something with his patio for mm -hmm. fall. He goes, can you plant in this heat? Sure. Yeah, there's no problem with planting it. You just have to be more diligent, diligent about your watering. Mm -hmm. And that's where also the root stimulator comes in. It can help. It's just like this extra kind of shielding that you're giving your plant because you're going to stress it out when you plant. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, that's something you experience. You know, you'll, you'll lose flowers um, on certain ones of your plants. Uh, you might have a droopy leaf that doesn't go away for a couple of days. And that's not because the plant's truly unhappy. There's just shock that goes into it. And then the environmental factor can sometimes exacerbate that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, you're listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery. Uh, heard every Saturday at 7 a.m. Going to your home page, you have free garden designs, right? Yes. Where do I click on that? So when you go on to our website um, at hairnursery.com, and then when you scroll down just a little bit, mm -hmm. you will see um, a landscape design plan. It's All colored right. in with colored stencil, and it says free landscape plans. Okay. And when you click on that picture, it's going to take you to another link where then it's specified and you can download your free landscape plan um, and or just print out the pages of it. And there's four plants. There's a deer and rabbit resistant garden plan. Okay. There's a butterfly and hummingbird garden plan. So a pollinator garden. There's a drought tolerant garden. Um, so there's some zero scape plants in there. Zero spelled with an X-E-R-I. And then there's a deep shade garden plan. Okay, I'm looking right now. I see landscape design. Is mm -hmm. that it? Yep. Go okay. ahead and, and uh, oh, wait, wait, wait. Uh, you might have gone too far. Okay. If you go all the way to the bottom where it says landscape design, that's probably too far. So um, once you go scroll it back to the top of the page mm -hmm. and just scroll down a little bit um, just below our hours. Oh, free landscape yep, plans. Just yeah. below our hours. Yeah. And then free landscape plans. Click on that. And there's four plans to choose from. Okay, I see. I'm there now. Deer and rabbit resistant, yes. Butterfly and hummingbird garden, 
drought tolerant garden and deep shade garden and we're going to get to all these coming up mm-hmm. uh during the break now and you have actual pictures of the uh, plants themselves too that, right? that you do so when you click on the plan not only is it going to give you kind of a little draw out of how you can arrange the plants in your garden but then there's also pictures of the plants um with descriptions of the plants that they suggest for that plan. I thought that was just awesome. Plus, there's tips on how to keep that garden going throughout the year. Yeah. So we'll start with that all coming up in just a bit. I also want to talk about, too, um, a plant that you and Greg were talking about uh, that is uh, a five-foot orange plant. You love orange plants. Mm-hmm. So, and what was that called again? So there was a, it's a celosia. It was a type of giant celosia that mm-hmm. got really big. But Greg has a, uh, a, a giant five-foot orange plant, and I've never heard of that, but it sounds fantastic. Yeah, he's going to have to send me a picture, because when he was saying how big it was, like, that's not the normal height of one, but there are giant celosia, mm-hmm. um, and I've seen them for sure get, you know, two-plus feet tall easily. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious what he's done. He acts like he's not a green thumb, yeah. and he has well, one that's that big. Well, it's not him, and it's his, it's his wife. Okay, let's give her credit then. Yeah, yeah. 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 Greg, Greg doesn't know anything about plants. Um <laughs> But, uh, but that sounds fantastic. Yeah, so uh, celosia, I, in fact, I used it as a border plant last year on my garden, so it is an annual. Mm-hmm. Um, it tends to, uh, unless you have it in like a cooler spot in your yard in the summer, it's one of those annuals that kind of poops out a little bit yeah. in the heat of the summer, but then can come back with a vengeance in fall. Mm-hmm. So it's really good in early spring plantings, like all the way through June, and then usually um, sometime in fall, uh, usually September or so, it bounces back. But they're probably creating different varieties that are more tolerant of the heat. It's not that they don't like full sun. They don't like the heat. Um, but if you move it to a different location, if you have it on the east side of your house, which is generally cooler, then it can thrive all summer long. And it comes in reds, pinks, yellows, oranges, uh, multicolored, just phenomenal plant. Uh, and you know it's growing really well right now? Weeds. Yes. <laughs> I just had to uh, make my... Uh, my uh, my roundup trip around my house. I've tried I've tried all kinds of different methods and and ultimately I, I bounced back. I had weeds growing through my brick walkway to my front steps. Yes. So how long does it take for those to die though? Um, well, with roundup, uh, you see them dead by the end of that day. Okay. Um, so that's what I did is I just you know pump and spray and uh, just hit them all. I've tried uh, organic methods yeah. and and it just takes forever. Yeah, napalm, just napalm. Yep. 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 All right, so uh, let's go to the uh, landscape design page. One of them is a deer and rabbit-resistant garden with things like a butterfly bush, um, Siberian iris. Let's start there. That's a really interesting one. Yeah, I like the Siberian iris, and it's a nice bluish-purple color. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just a really uh, interesting plant. And I'm um, having some technical difficulties on my end here, mm-hmm. um, trying to get to the to the link here. Uh, there we go. Okay. So the Siberian iris, um, not only is it more water resistant, you know, if you have an area that's just kind of, it's great for if you have a spot that accumulates water, but also a very resistant plant to many critters um, and has a, has a nice uh, bloom time, but you're going to get nice bluish purple colors out of that plant. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, bee balm, which we talked about. Oh, yeah, yeah. You have some bee balm. Yep. Um, so bee balm is a really interesting plant. It's a really cool flower, mm-hmm. um, this mop-top flower. It's in the mint family, uh, has a fragrant foliage and flower. Pollinators adore it. Um, but at the same time, with it being in the mint family, most things in the mint family are not really appreciated by deer and rabbits. It's just not. It's what attracts us to it is what deters them to it. Allium? Um, oh, yeah. That's, so that's what uh, onions are. Mm-hmm. So that's the botanical name for anything in the onion family. And the particular allium that I think she has listed here, is pro- it looks like the picture is of millennial um, allium, which has the smaller blooms. Some people are familiar with alliums as being the big bulbs that you plant in fall that then give you these big, tall, three, four-foot flowers with uh, cantaloupe-sized flowers. And it is related to those, but the smaller varieties have a higher rebloom um, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, really fun plant for summer gardens. Uh, I know some uh, onions in the onion family want, are difficult to get rid of. They spread. There is wild garlic, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And they'll get like little white or, or sometimes oh. pink clusters of flowers. Yeah. And they're, in, they're very difficult to get rid oh of. Oh, my God. This will not... Uh, interbreed with those, and it won't spread like those. I didn't know stone crop sedum is a good uh, deer and uh, rabbit resistor. Yeah, so um, when it's young, it can be chewed up. If you're noticing that, it's kind of like with coneflower, too. Uh, once the plant gets more mature, they tend to not go after it. But when it's young and really supple, that's when the rabbits can kind of go after it. So just a little warning there. You might need to kind of protect it while it's starting to emerge. But once it's full grown, you probably won't have any problems. Um, cat mint. Yep, another mint family plant. That really blooms. Oh, yeah, it blooms prolifically, and it's one of the earlier blooming of the mint family. So mm-hmm. it's, I'd say it's probably of the mint family that grows in our area, probably one of the longer-lasting ones mm-hmm. just because of its early bloom time. Nice purple flowers, and there's tighter, compact. You know, Some people are familiar with older varieties of cat mint that kind of spread, not mm-hmm. like regular mint, but the newer varieties, Walker's Low, Cat's Pajamas, um, Cat's Meow, much more tighter forms. Um, the butterfly bush. Some oh, yeah. people love those, but that is also deer and rabbit resistant. Uh huh. It's a great plant. So not only are you going to see that here in the deer and rabbit resistant garden, but you'll probably see it. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to see it in the pollinator um, one. So pollinators love it. You're going to draw uh, butterflies to you. Um, but at the same time, the taste apparently is just awful, and the critters do not want anything to do with that plant whatsoever. There's a variety of geranium that actually mm-hmm. is good, right? Oh, yeah. Um, so that's the hardy geranium is a wonderful plant. And it's one of those plants I, I, I always forget about when I'm talking to people about plants. Mm-hmm. It's a great low plant, makes a wonderful ground cover, pseudo ground cover if you plant enough in a row. And it can bloom in the heat of the summer, doesn't care. It can tolerate sun, it can tolerate shade, and it kind of creates this perfect little half circle um, on the flower. Even when it's not flowering, the foliage is really interesting. Now, if you planted that um, around as a border, would Mm -hmm. that detour the deer and rabbit from going inside your garden or not? Probably not. No, it's not going to have anything that that deters them, but it's not going to be something that draws them to the garden. Deer and rabbit scram will do it. That'll help, and that deer spray, the the, yeah. the deer be gone or mm-hmm. rabbit be gone mm-hmm. or a liquid fence. I, I have found that you need to do a combination of both. Yes, yeah. especially if you have them heavily. Yeah. Like if you live in an area and they just know there's food all around them, yes. you have to do whatever you can. If to- they come into your yard wearing a bib... Yeah. yeah, you know, <laughs> you, you're out there. You got to start like banging sticks at them or yeah. something. 
miscanthus grass. Never heard yeah. of that. Yeah. yeah, so miscanthus or maidenhair grass. Uh, wonderful variety. Really nice plumes of flowers on this grass. So maidenhair grass or miscanthus has kind of a flowy form. There's some grasses that are really vertical, um, and then there's some grasses that just kind of splay out, and this is kind of in between. So you have these spikes in the center, um, and that's really what the flowers come off of, and then you have this sort of airy flowiness that goes around it. It's a really great uh, grass that breaks up the texture of your garden and pretty much once it's established you have nothing to worry about critters aren't going to go after it drought's not going to bother it too much water is not going to bother it and if it ever gets too big although there's different species you can get you can cut it and split it up like you would a hosta in the beginning of the season and one you always talk about rose of sharon Oh, yeah. Now, the only, so this is one of those plants I have to say, you know, disclaimer, um, they will attract Japanese beetles. Mm -hmm. But at that being said, Japanese beetles are attracted to so many different things. So I don't want people to think that just because they avoid um, planting things that tend to... Uh, be a calling card for them that they're just not going to ever have Japanese beetles. This plant gets a bad rap for that, but it's a phenomenal summer performer. It loves the heat. It'll bloom usually July through frost, and there's dwarf varieties called Lil' Kim, and there's big varieties all the way up to, to the chiffon series that'll get 15 feet tall and turn, oh into, my turn into miniature trees, essentially. Really? Mm -hmm. Holy. So and blues and so you can pretty much get any size you want between four foot and 15 feet in a, in a rose of sharon it's a very versatile plant yeah all right, so that is for deer and rabbit resistance. Mm -hmm. Now, if you uh, if you live near a soybean field, you probably wouldn't want to plant Rose of Sharon. Oh, yeah. No, if you live by a soybean field, uh, <laughs> your Rose of Sharon or anything, because it's in the hibiscus family, mm -hmm. um, anything in the hibiscus family, um, the Rosaceae family, so the Rose family, or the, um, uh, like, hollyhocks, uh, which are also related to hibiscus, yeah, they're, they're going to mow you down. And what I like, too, is on on this page, and we're playing the home game, the Hair Nursery home game the green thumb home game is um and you go on a uh, free landscape design they will actually have square footage so you can see how big each one would get mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and rough cost too so you, you you look at the plan and you can load it and then you can print it and it tells you a there's there's a list of plants a through i on this one and then you scroll down and you can see what a is a is the miscanthus b is the rose of sharon and then there's a description and a picture um, but it also tells you roughly the cost mm -hmm. of what it'll take to make this 120 foot square area about 250 bucks you know if you already have the garden space made and you don't know what to do with it $250 to have a whole new landscaped area and you don't have to put them as close as they are in the picture there there's a, you know you can spread them out a little bit if you want to and get more square footage coverage all right let's go on to another one uh, a garden for deep shade this is always a challenge for some people mm -hmm. Uh, and the one that stuck, uh, a couple of them are stick right out, but one of them is Ligularia because it's a nice bright color for shade. And it's a summer bloomer. Mm -hmm. Many, so shade gardening is one of my favorite things to talk to people about. I love it because so many people come in and they expect to not be able to find squat. They come in and I'm like, I don't want hostas. I'm tired of hostas. And mm -hmm. I'm like, well, lucky you. There's so many more plants that we can talk about. You don't have to just have hostas mm -hmm. for a shade garden. And Ligularia there is a wonderful plant you have that plant it's got a wonderful spike to it so mm -hmm. that spike flower mm -hmm. bright yellow flower not only does it get big if you have a big dark or uh, pseudo lighted corner in the back of your yard and you want something to fill up space and ferns don't quite speak to you mm -hmm. 
get a Ligularia. It's going to get upwards of five feet tall, um, especially with those flower spikes and four feet wide. Big leaves can handle wet, um, really wet areas, but once it's established, can handle some drought as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I love about it, most spring flowers, Mm -hmm. or many of them, uh, are spring or early summer bloomers, where Ligularia starts to bloom summer and then can bloom into late summer, early fall. Bugbane. Oh, yeah, bugbane. Um, it's an interesting plant and also one that doesn't always come up uh, when I'm uh, thinking of plants. Darker foliage, kind of a chocolatey color, so it can kind of get lost if it's in too shady of an area. Mm-hmm. But if you have like a good east side or a northeast that still gets some sunshine or you have a, a bright house mm-hmm. um, or a bright uh, brick or rock border, bugbane can really help pop that and provide some contrast. Usually has pink flowers and it's a, it's a late summer uh, or I'm sorry, a summer bloomer as well. Yeah, it gets pretty tall, doesn't it? It can. It can get about three feet tall on yeah. average, so it's a good size plant. Uh, of course, hosta. There's course a hostas. lot of choices there, right? Oh yeah, and and you know people. Will, there's a and uh, you can't kill a hosta. Gosh, n- no, not really. The voles and the moles can. They'll chew the roots up. But uh, yeah. other other than those critters, you're probably, once the hosta's there. You can't kill it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd have to water Yeah, I always say, you'd have to water it to gas, with gasoline. And a hosta <laughs> would probably take a lot more gasoline than the average plant. Uh, Brunera? This is one of my favorite perennials. I And you've, I, you're probably, probably tired of me talking about Brunera. Yeah. It doesn't take much for me to talk about it. It's got a beautiful blue spring flower, like a true blue, which is what I'm fascinated by. Blue is my favorite color, and finding a true blue in nature is hard to get. Um, but this one has a true blue flower and then a really interesting variegated leaf. So even when it's done flowering in spring, you have this silvery pattern. It's like this silver stamp that they put on the leaf, which which gives a lot of texture and interest in a dark area. And it doesn't look like it gets super big compared to some of the others we mentioned. No, maybe 18 inches to two feet wide and about six inches to eight inches tall. It's not a very tall plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. A stilby. Oh, yeah. So Nice this one, color on this one. Oh, yeah, and multiple colors. So in that picture, they're showing all the different kinds that you could get. And it's a summer bloomer. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, you're seeing it in color right now. If you came out to Hair Nursery, you'd see some of the flower color. And you can get every color from all the different shades of reds, different shades of pinks, some whites, um, some purples in there as well. So lots of different colors. It's shallow-rooted, so it really does like the shade. And part of the reason um, why it wants that is in too sunny of an area, because it's shallow-rooted, it'll burn up. So the shade really helps it because shadier areas tend to retain moisture far longer. I like the way in that picture how it's grouped um, with all the different colors. Yeah, and the different sizes because you can get some that only get 18 inches tall and some that get 2 feet tall. So if you plant multiple colors of different sizes, it naturalizes really well while also still looking sophisticated. Uh, You're listening to Green Thumb with Hair Nursery. We're doing the home game of Green Thumb on Hair Nursery's website, and we're on landscape, free landscape design plan. It's near the top of the page, and we're now doing uh, shade plants. Uh, Mm Kind of as you go along at home, and and Ethan describes them, you can kind of get an idea of what's going on. Uh, and another plant that uh, I have is lungwort. Yeah. I will say this is an early bloomer. Early bloomer, but when it does bloom, it's stunning. Yes. Um, but then when it's not blooming, like Brunera, uh-huh. has a very interesting foliage. It's a variegated white spotted foliage and usually has these like lanceolate, these, these spear-shaped leaves on it mm-hmm. that are really cool looking as well. Yes. Um, I also have, um, boy... A border plant that I have in front of my house. You remember the purple? What is that? Uh, oh, uh, uh, you had alley. Uh, no, no, ajuga. Ajuga, bugleweed. Yep. Mm-hmm. 
That is an early bloomer, but that is a really interesting leaf as a border plant. And great for shade, as you see, especially the darker colored ones. Yes. But there's multiple colors. You can get green leaf, you can get narrow green leaf, you can get variegated leaf, you can get purple leaf. And the purple and the variegated leaf ones, the variegated usually is like a white, purple, and green. Mm-hmm thrive in shady areas yes. and they they're not aggressive i wouldn't say that they're an aggressive <clears throat> ground cover but they're a thorough ground cover yes. and i mean i was just blown away by how fast yours grew mm-hmm. i that was good for me because i've planted them mm-hmm. but i've never had them grow in as happy like you got a green thumb dan like wow that was very impressive like to start off in these tiny little two inch cell packs mm-hmm. and they didn't fill in nice yeah and then a year later you have this square foot maybe even bigger on yeah. some of those yeah so for me i was like i'm using this i'm using this as a selling point like this is how fast they can grow well here's one thing i would say though is i didn't overwater them because in shade you don't need to exactly and i think and i think because of that those roots spread out looking don't they they do and it looks it looks great yeah Yeah. they 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 really filled in and yes overwatering because they're shallow rooted at first Mm -hmm. um is a tricky is a tricky slope they want water but they don't want to be overwatered and like you said shady areas retain more moisture it was after you showed me how beautiful yours were filling in i i got two from hair nursery i got the variegated (laughs) one because i had two empty spots in my north garden where i have lily turf and hostas Mm -hmm. and i filled them in and i'm super happy with it i'm excited and uh only about 30 seconds left Sedum, uh, well, enough said. It's one, oh, of, yeah. it's one of my favorites, and it's a, it is a late bloomer, which is what I love. Mm-hmm. It gives that fall color. Real quick, Hardy Bucks. Hardy Bucks are going on right now. People come in, bring your Hardy Bucks in. Uh, no Hardy Buck is too expired, except for the postcards. Um, the postcard Hardy Bucks are a little bit different, but if you have the Hardy Buck cash dollars, uh-huh. bring them in, and you can use them in through August 15th, and our hours are 8 to 6, Monday through Friday. All right. And Saturdays? I'm sorry. Yeah, Saturday, Monday through Saturday. Come out Saturday, people. Come out today. <laughs> yes. All right. For Ethan Wise, I'm Dan DiOrio. Thanks for listening to Green Thumb from Hair Nursery on WMBD.